Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Redheaded Preacher Podcast for Sunday, February 26th, 2023. My name is Richard Lanford. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, and I am thrilled that you have tuned in. This message today, uh, based in the scriptures of 2 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18, starting at verse 15, passages from Exodus, and always for this three-part sermon series, also rooted in Matthew 5, when Jesus told his listeners that if they remember while offering a gift at the altar that their brother or sister has something against them, to go and leave the gift and reconcile with the brother or sister who has something against them. This was the third of this three-part series of sermons, and it's called Exploring Reconciliation, How? And at the opening of the message, I'll explain how to interpret that title. But I'll say that it was not an easy sermon to write because reconciliation, first of all, is never easy to write about. And how to pursue it, how to do it, is not easy. Uh, And I acknowledge that as well as offering some things that in certain circumstances, because there are so many different ones, in certain circumstances, say that 10 times fast, maybe I hopefully helpful. And um, our lector this morning is Jen Schneider, our recent president, past president, served us faithfully for five years in a row and is now one of our deacons and one of our live streamers as she has also been. Well, not the deacon part. In the interest of not having to cut another version of this intro, I'm going to stop talking except for asking you to join me in a brief word of prayer before turning it over to our lector. Holy, eternal, and living God, we humbly come before you and ask for your spirit to move in our spirits as we listen to the scriptures and meditate upon what we're about to hear as an elaboration on the scriptures, particularly on what it means for us as your people to practice reconciliation to the best of our ability and in the power of your spirit. It is in the power of your spirit we rest as we listen. In the name of Christ, the word made flesh, we pray. Amen. Amen. Our first reading is today, our first reading today is from the book of Exodus, chapters 22 and 23, selected verses. The verses are part of a larger section dealing with how to make things right when harm is done and when God's law is broken. We begin with chapter 22, verses 5 through 7, and then verse 14. That is followed by verse 5 of chapter 23. When someone causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets livestock loose to graze in someone else's field, restitution shall be made from the best in the owner's field or vineyard. 
when fire breaks out and catches in thorns or that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, the one who started the fire shall make full restitution. When someone delivers a neighbor, when someone delivers to a neighbor money or goods for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, then the thief, if caught, shall pay double. When someone borrows an animal from another and it is injured or dies, the owner not being present, full restitution shall be made. When you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would hold back from setting it free, you must help to set it free. Our epistle lesson by now, <coughs> by now is familiar for many of us. We have heard much of it on a recent Sunday morning, referred to in previous sermon on reconciliation, and at our Ash Wednesday services last week. The passage today is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21. <coughs> Paul wrote, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. This ends the reading from the epistle. Will those who are able please stand up for the reading of the gospel lesson? <coughs> this morning it is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. Jesus gives instructions for the church that has yet to really begin. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one, as, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but, I tell you, seventy-seven times. 
Here ends the reading of the Gospel lesson and our scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, the Word of God for the people of God. I come to you this morning realizing anew that when I preach a sermon, I am preaching to myself as well as to anyone else. I kind of trust that you know that, but especially in this topic and today's message, this is an area where I am still learning and still working on the how. Speaking of the how, I also realize that this sermon title is something we can interpret a couple of different ways. Is the sermon about how you and I explore reconciliation or exploring how we pursue and do reconciliation? My goal is the second of the two. Well, somewhere along the line, I became the kind of person for whom it was very important that the people I love get along. When friends of mine or family members co-workers, church members dislike someone else in the group, it bothers me. Speaking personally, when my mom in her advancing dementia misunderstood something my brother did and disowned him because of that, I had to call her and try to convince her to change her mind and let her know this bothered me. Well, I won't go into that conversation But she did eventually forget that event, and getting on an antidepressant did help. And that, in turn, took away my grief and anxiety, but not right away. And that's just an example. As a third party, I hate it when friends or loved ones of mine split up or will not talk to each other, even on the television shows I watch, past or present. I'm glad when those who were at odds, um, but who were friends and become at odds, there is some kind of reuniting. I know that might sound a little pathetic, but that's the way I am. So let's explore how we can engage in reconciliation. It can and does happen in a lot of different ways. Sometimes, because of the quality of the relationship, between the parties involved, it happens naturally, and maybe even inevitably. Well, that's a how. For most of us, as individuals and as members of a group estranged from another group or individual, the restoration of that relationship to a friendly or at least civil basis does not happen naturally or inevitably. Whether we are the angry, sinned against ones, or we come to see ourselves as the offending party, doing nothing likely accomplishes just that. Nothing. As we look to the Bible, we see in both Testaments an indication that of us, the fallible people of God, God expects us to not do nothing, but instead to make the first move. That's hard. That's also a major part of how. I'm actually wrong about that. God in Christ has already made the ultimate first move, from which come all of our attempts as Christians at reconciliation. Why? Because in Christ, God 
was reconciling the world to God's self, making us agents of reconciliation after having been reconciled. And because Jesus told us in Matthew 5 and again in chapter 18 to make the first moves. We heard this a few weeks ago, as Jennifer said, and we heard it on Ash Wednesday, and I chose for us to listen again because of its centrality to Christian reconciliation. All this, all this new creation of which Paul was writing, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The late Congregationalist preacher John Whale wrote that in the Old Testament it was we sinners who needed to make some kind of propitiation for our sins but not so in the new. Whale wrote, the, cent- excuse me, the vital point is that in the Old Testament, God is always the subject, never the object, of the action denoted by these words. So far from needing to be propitiated, God it is who provides the means whereby sin is annulled and forgiven. The cross is the supreme manifestation of the redeeming love of God. The Christian church, he continued, stands or falls with the conviction which originated it, namely that Jesus Christ is nothing less than God's redeeming gift of himself to sinful humanity. End quote. So reconciliation for the Christian always begins with God. And then Jesus challenged us to do the work of reconciliation in our own relationships. First, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, as I quoted Jesus two weeks ago, and Matthew 5 was our lectionary scripture. New Testament scholar Richard Hayes adds, Christians are now challenged to make it reconciliation, to make it visible in practices that show unity, Mercy, love, forgiveness, and a self-giving grace that the world could not even dream of apart from Christ. This is a message we need to hear today. So God acted first to bring us back into a right, forgiven relationship with God. Reconciliation, then, is to be a part of our Christocentric M.O., Modus operandi, the way we work, as it were. So how do we pursue this? On top of what I've already suggested or laid out. Well, let's go back to what I said minutes ago. The Bible indicates God expects us to make the first move, be we the offenders or the offended. Now that first move can be something you or I do, not necessarily say. Exodus 23 says... When you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would hold back from setting it free, you must help to set it free. 
In this, I hear God telling me to, A, take the high road and do the kind thing, regardless of who owns the donkey, maybe especially if it's someone who hates me, and B, be compassionate to animals. It's entirely possible that if the hater sees you will help free the donkey or whatever the circumstances are, he or she may start to see you differently unless you've given him or her reason to doubt your integrity. Or if they've created reasons in their own head to doubt your integrity. In the other texts from Exodus, there's always some kind of restitution or repayment for damage done to or loss experienced by the other when you are accountable. Sometimes, like in letting someone's field be grazed over, when you, excuse me, such as that passive negligence to what seems to be a neighbor's land, you let it happen. That's going to cost you. Starting a fire, arson, means making full restitution for the damage. You burned it, you bought it, except you got it, and you have to pay for all of what it would be growing on that land, etc., etc., from Exodus. There is some level of justice involved in these cases, if not the repairing of a relationship. If justice is not done and there is still the human reconciliation, mercy and forgiveness are probably being extended, as well as the spirit behind helping an enemy's donkey get free. Asking for forgiveness is often a part of reconciliation between groups who are estranged and individuals and families. In some situations that may be essential and it may depend on what kind of relationship we're talking about because the world is full of all different kinds. Reconciliation Parish in Berlin, Germany is a church that was divided by the Berlin Wall and was then reunited when the wall came down. But the removal of that enormous physical barrier did not heal the wounds and divisions that afflicted the community. To work on reconciliation, taking the first move, the parish hosted conversations between former members of the East German secret police and their victims. Pastor Manfred Fischer found that, quote, victims are keen to forgive and willing, but first there needs to be an honest and open word, such as, I'm sorry. I acted in a wrong way. There can be no reconciliation, Fischer opined, without an honest or open word. Overcoming alienation and establishing a new or peaceful relationship seems to be best done through conversation, confession, and forgiveness in a safe and hospitable Christian community, one that's grounded in the reconciling work of God. And that reminds me of South Africa after the deconstruction of its racist apartheid government policies and programs. Some of you remember that a truth and Reconciliation Commission was created. Archbishop Desmond Tutu was instrumental in its creation and its labors. Not too many sermons ago, I quoted for a second time the testimony of one of the African widows who forgave the murderous white guard who killed her husband and then her son 
under the condition that he spend time with her as her son. Tutu understood and was clear publicly that truth, honesty, was essential if any of this was going to work. False confessions, creating false apologies, mean as much as phony forgiveness. They both make for false reconciliation, not the work of God. Now, most of us have the capacity to look within or listen to the constructive criticism of a friend or mentor and see if, and if so, see how, you or I, you or I have at least some responsibility for the problem, the enmity or alienation. We try to see how the other person might have experienced whatever we did or said or didn't say or didn't do. If we said or did anything that we know of. Coming clean about our own role or responsibility, if there is one, confession, if you will, makes it easier in pursuing reconciliation to create and maintain some trust between parties, as does helping his or her donkey out from underneath its burden. Now, time sometimes when you or I have gathered the courage, and it takes courage, to contact the other group or person, we might need help with language and getting the conversation going. That could be a large chunk of a sermon in itself for which we do not have time. I might be able to help with some language if someone asks, but of course it depends on the particulars too. Here are some ideas to bring to an opening conversation. There are resources for parties involved, or for a neutral facilitator, often a good idea, depending on what's going on. When it comes to approaching and continuing conversations like this, for instance, it's good to be aware in the conversation of potential barriers to good listening, either your own or the others. Barriers can be that the listener is not interested in this conversation, or is preoccupied with something else that has a preconceived notion of you and is uncomfortable with you or another's emotions, who wants to fix things rather than listen when listening is required and needed for, pro for progress, or they're simply not sure how to have this conversation and is therefore uncomfortable and looks for a way out. These are barriers to good listening. If an honest conversation happens, some basic what somebody called restorative questions to ask are as simple as, what happened? What's happening? How have you and others been affected by this situation? What's been the hardest thing for you? What needs to happen to address the situation? Good for a facilitator to ask. And what are you willing to do, or what am I willing to do, to address the situation? In such discussions, reaching for a reconciliation of sorts, the purpose of the conversation is to allow the persons or groups to be heard, which means being listened to. Identify the issues underlying the complaint. Determine, if possible, the extent of the damage and hurt 
determine if possible some concrete step, next steps, and rebuild or avoid damaging relationships if that's possible. And there are other questions that we can bring to a conversation for our own awareness of what's happening in the conversation. In Matthew 18, not to forget, Matthew 18 is a sermon in itself, but as for the how of reconciliation there, Jesus teaches implicit respect for the sinner by going to him or her privately. He tells the disciples, go to him or her privately, one-on-one. If they blow you off, don't quit. But in a church context, at least, because that seems to be what Jesus is talking about, the fellowship of the community of faith, try again, but with one or two fellow believers with you. Again, privacy and respect within this escalation of effort. If you're still blown off, the church's witness itself could be at risk if nothing is done. So there's a third attempt at reconciliation this time in the presence of the congregation, not the public. Now, we don't really do that, but this is what Matthew has. In fact, we've probably heard instances where that has happened, probably in a fundamentalist church, and the damage is really done uh, in more ways than one. Spiritual damage. But in Matthew, we hear that reconciliation is taken seriously, with respect and love, as is the integrity of the church. And sometimes apologies or contracts or treaties are insufficient for damages done, and damages in some cases done for centuries. Lastly, Exodus reminds us that the how can and often does include restitution and reparations for damages done. I looked up the difference between restitution and reparation, found different, different interpretations, different, trend, different definitions. The United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights says restitution is a process of compensation for losses, while reparation is a payment of time effort or money to undo past transgressions. It also says, speaking of victims of human rights violations, and I quote, victims have a right to reparation. This refers to measures to redress violations of human rights by providing a range of material and symbolic benefits to victims or their families as well as affected communities. Reparation must be adequate, effective, prompt, and should be proportional to the gravity of the violations and the harm suffered, end quote. Restitution, as modeled in Exodus, or reparation, may well be part of how we people of faith bring about reconciliation in the practices of loving our neighbors and loving justice. Conversations around these topics have long since begun. And that's good news. Amen. I ended that sermon by saying that uh, conversations about restitution and reparations have long since begun and that that is good news. 
Uh, I consider it good news, but I also realize that there may be some in the audience, both in person on that Sunday morning, which would be this morning, or out there that, uh, depending on how they interpret those words, it may not be good news for how they understand concepts of justice, because not everybody agrees on what makes for justice. All the same, we did end that uh, message with a singing of Lift Every Voice and Sing. And that was the conclusion, not only of the service, but of our Sundays in African American or Black History Month. Next Sunday, March 5th, I'm going to go back to the suggested lectionary readings for Lent. And I'll tell you next Sunday, or next time you tune in, what those are, because, truth be told, I have not looked at them yet. So I hope you did find this, uh, this morning's message meaningful and helpful, because it's a tough and challenging pursuit for all of us who carry the name Christian. And it is by grace that we do any of this. Okay, may God be with you now and all throughout the week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much 